Okay. Yep. There it goes. Okay. Um, I'm going to also have a backup uh, audio recording. Perfect. And um, they're going to be just about finished here in about two or three minutes with the uh, the trimming of the hedges. Amazing. So where are you located right now? I'm in Los Angeles. Um, this is kind of my winter home, but since the COVID, I haven't been traveling quite as much. And so I'm here a little more often. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because yeah. You, you do quite a bit of um, workshops overseas, am I correct? Correct. Yeah, I, I just I got back from Serbia and Croatia not too long ago. And then uh, I was supposed to do Ukraine and Latvia, but um, Ukraine uh, was still very locked down. And, you know, the, my organizer said, no, we got too many people who want it online and it's too hard to find locations in person. So I came back to the States early. <laughs> mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's very interesting to see all of this, this, this stuff playing out. I remember reading your book, Earth Awakens, a couple of years ago. And for me, on a personal level, it was... You know, it was the first time I had ever really heard of the awakening phrase like that. And it just gave me so much hope and faith and courage. So, yeah, it's something that I reference very frequently on my own um, journey. And as I go on the really this journey of creating one of those light communities right now, which my beloved and our, our soul family are in. So I feel like, you know, in, in a way, it's, it's almost like our Bible. I printed off a hard copy and it's something that we're always going to reference. Well, I don't know how much you know about my work, but I um, am very interested in intentional community. And in fact, my partner and I are looking at Costa Rica, Mexico, South, Southeastern United States as possible places for community. I've been mm -hmm. in a number of communities um, at of varying sizes. And I'm now doing a workshop on enlightened communities, which goes into a lot of why it's so hard to have an intentional community, why they don't seem to work very well in general. There's only maybe a handful that I would say are highly successful. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I love that. I think what we'll do is let's let's just keep rolling with that. And then I'll, I'll do my own intro over top of it so people can have a bit more context. But this is this is a really important topic. So, like, why like why do you feel that forming up these communities can be challenging and difficult right now in these different times? Yeah, let me go ahead and start my little recorder here. Uh, we'll sure. Start, start early. This is an interview with Spencer, and uh, today's the fifteenth of June. And the question that we're just talking a little bit before the main, main program here about intentional community. And I made a comment that I think it, it's difficult for most people to live in a, in a conscious, enlightened, intentional community. And the reason is very simple. Um, we've done a lot of work on ourselves, but living together with a group of souls, even if they're people you're already friends with, Will tend to bring up a lot of deep emotions and a lot and not everybody has done the deep subconscious work on their emotions and thoughts and so it, it tends to come up i had a group of about five romanians who had been best friends forever and ever 
and they decide to start a community get together. And within six months, it fell apart because they realized they were great friends. But when it came to living together, they didn't really know each other as well as they thought they did. Mm-hmm. Like one, one thing that I've really been been dropping into when it comes to light communities is this concept of it almost being a game of frequencies and this idea of, okay, great, you're going to get some land and you're going to get your 20 friends together and you're going to go and you're going to start, you know, eking out an existence, farming, whatever. And all of the sun, you know, let's say in, in the lower density, like the 3D realm, someone comes and tries to take your stuff. We know in the US, there's a lot of people that are very armed as they are up in Canada. And, you know, when children go hungry, I know men will likely take, you know, fairly desperate action to ensure that their child is fed. So how do you how do you see like a really intentional community let's say weathering the storm and then moving into this space of thriving where we can not only, you know, meet our basic needs for food and all this stuff, but also take ourselves deeper into our divinity and our spirituality and our opening to different realms and possibilities. Yeah, excellent question. And and I have to take the high road on this question, which is the more transcendental approach uh, by putting out the idea of what's called psychological invisibility. And I Mm. talk about this briefly in a couple of my books. And it's based on the law of attraction. Basically, there's there's three ways you attract people into your life. They either resonate with your vibration, you're at a similar level in vibration, and so you attract each other. Or... You're there to learn from someone, so you attract a teacher that's at a higher vibration who essentially has a karmic contract to teach you something, or you have a karmic contract to learn something from that person. And then, of course, the other way around, you attract students that you are there to teach them something, they came in to learn from you. And those are the three ways the law of attraction works. If you don't have a karmic contract or a resonant vibration, you essentially won't attract those kind of people into your life. And if if the vibrational difference is sharp enough, then you create what's called psychological invisibility. And this is where you... Um, you just, like, let's say there's a group of uh, lower dimensional people that would like to rape, plunder, and pillage mm. your community (laughs) and they've got firearms and you know whatever else but they're at a lower vibration considerably lower than your community and you don't have anyone in your community who has a lot of subconscious negativity that would attract them they would literally go right on by your community and not even notice it it would be like invisible to them they might um, be able to still physically see it if it were right in front of them. But it reminds me of a story in the um, Central American explorers back in the 14th, 15th century. Uh, They explored South America and there were native people there who had never seen anything bigger than a canoe. And these huge sailing ships came into the harbor and they couldn't even see them because they had no reference point in their consciousness for something that big. Um, so it's a little bit like that. Mm. 
Yeah, I love that. I, I've described this to people as, you know, the, the band of, um, you know, roving marauders are, are coming and literally they end up turning right for really no apparent reason that you can say when left would have taken them down to your community. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I'd love to just hear from you, Sal, because I know you, you know, you channeled quite a bit, which I referenced in the intro, you have these beautiful books, you know, you you've explored all over this beautiful planet. What do you really see and perceive happening right now in our world? Because people are getting the reality shaken up big time. Like, what do you see unfolding right now? Well, we are living in the time that religious people call apocalypse. And the word apocalypse literally means that which has been hidden shall be revealed. It's the unveiling or, or revealing of uh, what has been hidden. And of course, I say that's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the good part of apocalypse is that people are realizing that they are powerful, creative, spiritual beings and that they do not have to be uh, blind, obedient puppets or slaves to some elite master group, you know, that wants to control them, you know. And, and so this is a, a huge awakening for many people right now. They're saying, wait a minute, you know, it's like I'm a sovereign soul. I'm a human being with free will and nobody has the right to take that from me. And so that's Part of that's part of the good aspect of this awakening that all of the events taking place in our world are an opportunity for us to wake up and in fact it gets more and more uncomfortable if we don't wake up and that brings us to the bad and the ugly that the bad side of it being of course tyrannical governments trying to force things like vaccinations and you know uh, border controls between countries and all of this you know, restrictions, social distancing, mask wearing, all this kind of stuff, which is, of course, a control game. Uh, somebody with a little bit of common sense said that um, if you, if masks were really effective at stopping viruses, <laughs> well, they're not. It, it's like a chain link fence to stop mosquitoes. That's what somebody said. You know, mm. So it's obvious that, um, I mean, it's obvious to you and me that the government is not here to care for us and keep us safe. You know, they're here to, to maintain their illusion of control. That's their real purpose. But, um, you know, that the ugly, of course, are the things that are being revealed a bit that have been going on for thousands of years, like tra child trafficking, pedophilia, satanic ritual abuse, you know, things like that. And, uh, and the idea that there are a you know, reptil reptilian race that wants to enslave humanity and things like that, which is true on one level. But once you reach a certain level of consciousness, you're no longer at the effect of that. And it starts by detaching emotionally and mentally from the idea that you can be controlled externally. Uh, or that your well-being or happiness depends on certain external factors like having enough money, having the right job, having the right girlfriend, having the right, you know, a family relationship, whatever it is. And, you know, that's the set, the central spiritual lesson there is we, as sovereign beings, our happiness does not depend on 
whether we live under capitalism, communism, socialism, or some other ism, but rather how connected are we to our God presence within our higher self? And that's really the, the question. And uh, yeah, so, so that's kind of the, the summation of it. Mm, yeah, I absolutely love that. And you, you mentioned something in there that comes up a lot um, when I'm talking with men and Instagram, and I'm seeing this more and more on social media platforms like TikTok is this, you know, this concept of the higher self and accessing your higher self. So can you just break down for the man out there who's listening that has heard this term bandied around in the spiritual um, new age community? Like what exactly is the higher self for, for a man? And okay. you know, what are the benefits of, of quote unquote accessing your higher self? Okay, and I'm and because this is uh, uh, oriented toward men, I want to also talk about the masculine and feminine aspect of God a little bit too. Um, Perfect, because God is both ma- male, female, and beyond gender at the same time. So, mm-hmm. so, um, so let's talk about the higher self for a moment. I have a, a model system, and it's only a model system. It's not to be taken as as verbatim truth. It's a way to help perceive what we call higher dimensions. And this is a 12-dimensional model system. And, the, and in my system, we have six lower levels of being and six higher levels of being. And the higher self is a generic term that refers to the six higher levels of being. So we have the physical, emotional, and mental, which everybody knows about. Those are the lower three levels. Mm -hmm. And then we have the astral, etheric, and causal, which are often called the subtle planes or the intermediate levels. Now, all six of those levels are subject to corruption. They're subject to negative programming, negative belief systems, and this sort of thing. So... Those are the considered the lower six bodies in my soul integration material. I talk about how to integrate and balance and align the six lower bodies. So then we have the six higher bodies and the soul, oversoul, and monad are levels seven, eight, and nine. And then the God levels are levels 10 through 12. And that together collectively is what I refer to as the higher self. Now, of course, you can say, I am presence, infinite I am, God presence within. There's a lot of different ways you can uh, define higher self, but it's basically the all wise, all loving, all knowing part of us that knows in advance what is right for us as individual souls and basically orchestrates our life in the higher levels, even though we have free will, And that means we can accept the advice of the higher self. We can choose to listen to the higher self or we can choose to ignore the higher self and instead identify with our ego. And as you know, most people on the planet are identified with ego, it's it's obvious. And the ego comes from the idea of lack and limitation. I'm identified with this human vehicle, this human body, And therefore I need all of these things from outside of me in order to feel whole, complete and happy. 
higher self comes lives life from the inside out rather than the outside in trying to grab things and get things it lives life from the idea that the kingdom of heaven is within i am an infinitely powerful creative intelligent spiritual being and i'm here to share that inner wisdom and knowledge with other human beings and so Anytime you have a decision to make in your life, you can determine whether it's coming from a higher self or lower self. And so if it's coming from higher self, it's going to be uplifting to humanity. It's like, oh, I'm here to serve. I'm here to uplift people. And if it's coming from ego, it's like, what can I get for myself? You know, uh, money becomes more important than service and things like that. So uh, getting to the male-female issue, though, which I think is appropriate to your group, um, the masculine aspect of God, I think about as the, um, what we call the grace of the Heavenly Father that kind of spirals down from higher dimensions into the lower dimensions. It's electrical energy. And the feminine is the uh, magnetic component which spirals up from the earth and comes in as the Kundalini or the Shikana energy. And it's um, that the two meet in the heart and solar plexus, which is where I call it the Christ light or the balanced male female energies that radiate out from the heart and solar plexus. So a man who is balanced spiritually is about 60% masculine and 40% feminine. And obviously for a woman, it's the other way around. Uh, of course, our society is all messed up about the gender issue, but um, we have the extremely macho men, which might be 80% masculine, 20% feminine. And the problem with that is that they don't have the intuition, they don't have the ability to receive truth directly. Uh, they get, tend to get stuck in their minds. And then, of course, you have the overly feminine men, which are not in touch with their personal power and their ability to get things, get her done, as, as would be said in the South. You know, They don't have that, that drive to do things that need to be done in the world. So you have the two unbalanced masculine energies, the overly feminine, overly receptive, side and then the macho side which is kind of like the bull in the china shop that just wants to you know bulldoze over anyone in their way so and sometimes women can be too masculine as well you know there's there's corporate women out there who are like bulldozers i think some of the men in this group have probably met them mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. so the balance of masculine god the heavenly father and divine mother that I love everything in there. So how would you suggest a man who maybe feels like he's a little bit more in the 80-20, but he's starting to awaken to, to something that is not right? And he's he's listening to this, this podcast and he's thinking, okay, like maybe I do need to work on my balance and get to more of a 60-40. Like how does a man start or go on that journey? Well, a lot of times it, they, they become awakened in a rather painful way through failed marriages, for example. And, um, you know, the, maybe they have three or four failed relationships in a row and they, and they realize, well, something is wrong. You know, I, I'm, 
I don't understand women or I, or I don't understand how to relate in a more uh, equanimous way or uh, that's probably not, not a very good word to use, but uh, in a way where there's a co-creation that happens in relationship with women, that's often how men start to realize, you know, I'm, I'm not sensitive to the woman's feelings uh, maybe I'm a good provider. Maybe I, you know, pay for her expenses and I, you know, go out and work and, pay, and raise the kids, but I'm not really sensitive to her on a feeling level. I don't really understand emotions all that well. And I think that's where a lot of overly masculine men uh, start to wake up. They start to realize, you know what, I, I guess I need to get in touch with my own feminine side a little bit more. So at the very least, I can relate to my wife and my girlfriend. And um, so I think that's where a lot of it comes in. Um, and of course, uh, nowadays the stereotypes are not as strong as they used to be, but they're still there, you know? And uh, so I think that the, the whole overly masculine approach is, is like forcing the universe to, to respond to you or trying to force your way in the world. And that takes a lot of energy. To, to be constantly trying to force your will on others. And maybe you were raised with a father who beat you when you were little or was, you know, you know had all these images of, of what you should be when you grow up. And, you know, a lot of us are still trying to, to maybe gain the love of our father, you know, by being like him. And if he was macho and overly masculine, then we think we have to be macho and overly masculine as well. And in order to get father's love, you know, of course, that's a deep subconscious psychological pattern, but it's, it's a valid uh, reason why we tend to overcompensate sometimes uh, in life. Uh, you know, try too hard to do it right would be another way to describe that. Okay, awesome. So much goodness in here, Sal. I just, yeah, it's absolutely a pleasure to be to be speaking with you after going so deep into your books over the the past the past few years. And one of the books that I really think is highly, highly recommended to the men out there is your mystery of time book where you really go deep into exploring the concept of time. And this is something that we see in our community and I see in men's work in general is men's addiction and obsession with time where this becomes a massive burden and really holds them back from their potential accessing their higher self on demand and all of these things. So will you speak into how time impacts men and perhaps suggest some, some strategies for not being so bound by time? Well, it's a complex topic. Um, you know, the simple aspect, which again is more relevant maybe to times past than it is today, is the idea that men have to be constantly productive, you know, and uh, some, some men are working two jobs to try and support their family. And so time becomes very, very precious to them. And it's very difficult to slow down after being busy, busy, busy all day long and just unwind and be open and receptive to wife or girlfriend or whoever is in your life. And so that's the, the real obvious one that I think we're all aware of that it's hard to slow down after a busy, productive day. 
And the other aspect is more esoteric. And this is the idea that time is largely psychological. Uh, Non-local time is the idea that everything happens at once and we just experience it as a sequential uh, happening. And this is, you know, what kind of what my timeline healing is about. It's, it's a process where you go back in time and give a healing to those past versions of yourself that have been traumatized in some way. And it's based on the non-local, non-locality principle of quantum physics, which re with respect to time, which basically says all time is now, all time is connected at a non, in a non-local way. And therefore the beating you got from your father at age five is happening right now in non-local time, even though it, in, in linear time, it looks like it happened back when you were five years old or something like that. And so you can actually work on it right now. You can give a healing to the five-year-old that was beaten. And maybe you grew up, you know, having an unhealthy relationship with men as a result of the way your father treated you. And, and so by going back in time and giving a healing to your five-year-old, you, you literally change time. Now, there are limits to how much you can change it uh, because of what's called time paradoxes. And the most famous of those is the grandfather paradox, which is the idea, what if you went back in time and accidentally killed your grandfather? Mm. Well, then maybe you were never born. <laughs> but mm -hmm. if you were never born, you couldn't have gone back and killed him in the first place. So that's the paradox. And the way that paradox is resolved is every time you go into the past and make a change, you jump into a new timeline. There's what we call parallel timelines or possible and probable timelines. And so you literally jump into a new timeline. And I have a, a diagram or chart in the book that shows the, the multiple pasts and multiple futures, and they all cross at, at this eternal now moment, which is right now. So you can choose a different past, and you can choose a different future than the one that we would call the most probable future, which might be that you would continue to have problems in your relationships with men as a result of your father, the way he treated you, for example, uh, that that would be the unhealed future timeline. And now you go back, you do all this healing on your relationship with your father and your relationships with men get better. You're able to have, you know, strong business partnerships, strong friendships or whatever it is you desire. So, so that's an example of the type of healing work that I do. Mm -hmm. So I know we, we talk quite a bit about free will. Like, can you just, you know, explain to the man, if you're going back to do this timeline healing on, let's say your five-year-old self, like, how is that done in a way that doesn't impinge on that five-year-old's free will if you're healing him? Well, like, that's, he know, a, that's a very good question. And um, I'll try to explain this in the easiest way possible, because your five-year-old will typically receive a visitation. Uh, sometimes it'll look like an angel or being sent by God, you know, that turns out to be your future self coming back in time and depending on the situation there may be times when you can influence only a little bit that five-year-old but the most important part is getting the five-year-old to love himself and so your job as a healer is to 
uh, get the five-year-old to feel God's love, basically, because God's love is the only healer. No healing is going to happen if the, the, the person receiving the healing is not open to some degree to God's love. And so guilt is a huge issue. And so one of the things you do is you get the little child to, to stop feeling guilty, like, oh, I'm a bad person. I did something wrong. That's why I'm being punished. Okay, so maybe there was bad behavior, but when the child says, I am defective, something is wrong with me, I am a bad person, that's when the problems really get started. And so you are allowed to influence the free will of the five-year-old by suggesting, hey, maybe you're not a bad person. Yes, you, 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 you mis disobeyed father, you, you know, left your clothing on the floor instead of picking it up, or you didn't come in when he called you or whatever it was. So yes, there was a, there was a bad behavior and there were consequences for that bad behavior, but who you are is still a beautiful, innocent child of God. And so none of these events in your life are changing who you really are inside. And that's really the approach that we use. And, you know, free will basically says, okay, I can love myself and forgive myself for disobeying father, or I can decide I'm a bad person and I deserve to be punished. And therefore I'm gonna go through life constantly creating one disaster after another because of that belief that I deserve to be punished. So free will is an important part of that because the child has to decide I am worthy. And so you're helping the child decide I am worthy. You're not forcing the child to do anything. You're, you're simply showing the child that there's a higher reality called God's love, which by its very nature is forgiving. In fact, God is beyond forgiveness, but the, the nature is for the self to be forgiven. It's like, oh, okay, I'm a beautiful child of God, and I made a, made a mistake on the human level, and all is forgiven. I'm going to pick myself up, dust myself off, and get back on the path. Hmm. Beautifully said. Now, I want to flow into this, you will call it a concept, but we know it's bigger than that, that, than that of of God. And one thing that I am seeing more and more in social media platforms and talking with men is this awakening or remembering that we are not separate from God, that we are literally aspects of the divine. Can you just share a little bit of, from your knowledge of, you know, this transition where we've gone, where, you know, there's been major religions that have said, you know, you have to follow this way to connect with God and he has to look this way, you know, up in heaven, angels singing, all of the stuff they say. And now here we are where we're remembering we don't actually need a barrier between us because we are God. So can you just share a little bit about this concept of God and yes. how people are awakening to that? Yeah, there's two main viewpoints on God. One is the idea that God is eternal love up in some heavenly realm somewhere. And then we have this physical plane with all of its drama and disaster and war, poverty, misery, and suffering. And that the idea is to get to God by ascending into this higher realm. Okay, that's one view of God. Another view of God is that God is everything that is, that there is nothing outside of God. 
God is literally omnipresent. That means there is no place in all of creation where God is not, or you can't say God is omnipresent. <laughs> and um, that's actually, in my opinion, a little bit more enlightened view of God. It doesn't negate the fact that there is an aspect of God that is eternal love, that is this beautiful heavenly state of consciousness, that that is part of God. But the struggling humanity that's, you know, fighting a war over oil or money or control or whatever, that that aspect is also part of God. It's just a, it's an unconscious aspect of God, part of God that has not awakened to itself yet. So, the, so I think that view is a little bit more enlightened than the first view, although the first view ha has a sense of validity, especially depending on where you are in your state of consciousness. If you're in the lower realms, you're subject to the law of karma and cause and effect, and you, your body requires things from the world, and you need a certain amount of ego to survive in this world from a physical standpoint. But if you're coming from a higher state of consciousness, then all of that becomes irrelevant because even in a war, you can see God's love, which is really hard to understand from a human point of view. How can there be God's love even in a war? And, you know, I mean, there's examples like, oh, I, I, um, protected my comrade from getting you know shells in his head you know from the from the weapons and uh, or whatever it is you know and you could say well okay I, I did this out of selfless love but I'm really talking about um, the ability to remember that this is a play this is a movie and in the movie you you are the star of your of the of the movie called your life and it's being played out on a stage with other characters. Uh, you have the, the main characters and then you have the non-player characters uh, as, as would be said in the video games, which are just kind of the ones that don't have a direct influence on you. But it's all a drama as Shakespeare said. And so you, you remember that it's just a drama. It's like, okay, it may be important for me to live according to spiritual principles, to be kind and compassionate towards others and do what I can to be of maximum service to others, but it's still just a drama. It's still just a game. And that kind of takes a lot of the, the heavy weight out of it so that it's like, oh, I can, I can flow through life. I don't have to be fighting and resisting everything that happens in my life. Now, I'm not saying this is easy to do. <laughs> if it were easy, everybody would already be doing it. But I think this is the necessary, as I said before, we have to emotionally and mentally detach from the matrix. Uh, that means we're not, our happiness doesn't depend on whether we get a stimulus check or not, or whether we, uh, so, so-and-so gets into the presidency or not, or whatever it is. Um, no, th that's part of the drama. And we may have feelings about, you know, corruption in government or whatever it is, but that's not the ultimate reality. The ultimate reality is beyond the stage, beyond the theater. Mm, yeah, this is this is all so beautiful. So I want to kind of loop back to a topic that we started with was this idea of intentional communities, and more and more men and women, of course, are. You know, stepping into this 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 concept that we call new earth leadership. Like if we're here to 
help guide humanity into a more awakened, a more awakened viewpoint. And we're, we're in that, you know, we're in that finite linear timeline right now. Like what, what do you perceive is, is going to happen over the next decade or two? I know in your earth awakens, you spoke of, you know, a number of souls departing this planet to, you know, work out their karma or lessons, learn their lessons in other places. So can you just share with a man who hasn't read earth awakens, by the way, man, if you haven't, if you haven't, if you haven't read that, make sure you head over to Sal's website or Amazon and grab a copy, but can you just share at a high level Sal? Like, what do you see in the coming decade or two here on this planet? Well, in my books, especially the Earth Changes and Earth Awakens books, um, I go into some detail about, well, my, my, my guides call it immune system failure being like a huge issue or, or being rather the excuse for souls to leave this world because this world is ascending. It's going up into a higher vibration. And those who are unable or unwilling to ascend with the earth are going to find a way to exit the earth and go to a planet that is more suited to their level of vibration. This is part of the law of attraction. And so one of the ways that was predicted uh, 15 years ago uh, and, uh, and all the way through has been immune system failure. Now, a lot of us didn't really know what that meant exactly until this recent uh, hullabaloo about viruses and all of a sudden it's like oh we've got this variant and that variant and this one's more deadly than that one and no none of that is real um, viruses we have about 150 viruses in our bodies right now at this very moment 150 different strains of viruses so why aren't we constantly sick because we have this thing called an immune system and the immune system, you could say it's, it's a measurement of how well balanced we are inside in our six lower bodies, you could say that. And of course, on the physical level, it's about you know, not having too much stress. It's about eating right, getting the right kinds of exercise, having harmonious relationships, and, and especially not buying into the lies and deceit of the so-called power elite, you know, the ones who think they control us. And so they give us all of this false information in order to control us. And the number one is, of course, fear. Um, I've been telling people there is a deadly pandemic going around the earth right now. It's called fearitis or fear. And it is deadly and it affects three fourths of humanity approximately are slaves to fear. And of course, the mainstream media is the biggest propagator of this fear. You know, be afraid, be very afraid. We have a, a later, more deadly variant. You have to keep wearing your masks, even though it says right on the box that they don't stop viruses. But <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and be in fear. And what does that do? It lowers your immune system. Uh, same with the vaccines. You know, maybe they boost the immune system for certain pathogens, but they also cause damage to the immune system in other ways. Uh, kind of like most pharmaceutical drugs, they might solve one problem and create three other problems, depending on the type of side effects they have. So uh, I'm not saying that vaccines are totally bad. I'm not saying that big pharma's drugs are totally bad. Uh, but they're going about it all wrong. They're not recognizing that we have a natural immune system. 
And so uh, whether it's GMOs, whether it's fluoride, whether it's you know, toxins in the atmosphere and the soil, additives in the food, all of this is assaulting our immune system and it's compromising our immune system. And so we have to have some spiritual tools to overcome this because there is no place on earth that's not polluted. You know, some places are worse than others, of course, but we can't really get away from pollution. So we have to learn how to transmute it, how to transcend it. And so we have to learn about higher spiritual principles, meditation, yoga, breathing techniques, ways to raise our frequency and vibration so that we're no longer subject to all the toxins in our environment. Mm -hmm. So that's... So, so my guides are saying probably half or more of humanity are going to end up dying of immune system failure. And whether that's, you know, reaction to a vaccine, whether that's an exotic virus, natural or man-made virus, all of that is, is somewhat irrelevant. The, the relevant thing is, you know, what's causing people's immune systems to fail so that they end up getting sick from a man-made or natural pathogen. And that's the real question that only a few people are asking and, and answering. And uh, certainly you're not gonna get that from the media. So that's a big portion of humanity's uh, likely depopulation. And again, you could, we could talk for however long about uh, whether there's an intention, <clears throat> intentional depopulation agenda uh, or whether it's just uh, an outcome of immune system failure. That's a whole nother topic, which I don't think we should get into right now. Um, but, you know, war is probably going to kill less than 10% of humanity in the coming years. Uh, we're not allowed to use our nuclear weapons. Uh, perhaps you've read that part in the books. Mm -hmm. And then this, is, this can be verified. It's in the official military log books that... Uh, vehicles have been seen hovering over the launch silos, neutralizing the launch codes and things like that. This is not, not uh, new information. <laughs> and uh, so obviously there are beings who say, nope, you're not gonna blow yourselves up with nuclear weapons. We're gonna take the matches away from the toddler as I like to call it. <laughs> I, I absolutely love that. And I know I wanna be mindful of your time here, Sal. So. One final question or topic I'd love to dive into. And, you know, coming, like, I just want to set the, the frame here. Many of the men who, you know, are drawn to this podcast are starting to feel the pull of what I, I generally term the galactic or galactic remembering, galactic knowledge, this concept that there's something beyond there's species beyond what we were sold growing up in you know the american or canadian or european schooling system and it's very new to them so can you just share a little bit about you know what's going on galactically right now outside of this you know immediate earthly plane we're on and Okay. You know, maybe a starting a starting point for the man to to not get overwhelmed with this. Like, why does it matter to men? Well, it's it's complicated because uh, it's not as simple as oh, there's good guys and bad guys in the cosmos, and some of them are interacting with Earth. That's the short short version. But there's been, according to my information, 
about 23 different extraterrestrial civilizations that have interacted directly with humanity during humanity's 10 million year history. <clears throat> now, some of you are saying 10 million years, what, what, what? It's like, yeah, 10, approximately 10 million years, human beings have had some type of civilization on the earth. Uh, it's actually 100 million years that the, the, the Homo sapiens, uh, that this, this type of humanoid body has been here almost 100 million years. But for 10 million years, there have been significant civilizations on the earth. There's been four or five major ones. Uh, we know them as Pangaea, Land of Pan, uh, Lemuria, Atlantis, uh, ancient Egypt, Samaria, and present civilization. Um, so these are, you know, the ones that are more well-known, the bigger, bigger ones. There's been several smaller ones. And extraterrestrials have interacted with each of these civilizations and have altered the course of these civilizations. You might say that they've maybe violated free will on one level, or maybe on another level, the souls on Earth agreed to participate in this experiment. And so you can't say they were just total lab rats unaware, maybe they participated to some degree. But you have interbreeding of <clears throat> various ET races with the original Homo sapien configuration, genetic configuration. And the, the, the real history of Earth and Earth awakens and Earth changes and beyond my, my second, third, and fourth books, basically, or second, third, and fifth books, actually, go into some detail on these interactions of various extraterrestrial groups. About 80% of the universe is benevolent, and about 20% is malevolent or, or evil or, or bad. And what that means, basically, is uh, about 80% of extraterrestrials are, are here to, to help us, to be of service to us. And about 20% are here for selfish reasons. Maybe they're mining the resources of Earth. Maybe they're stealing our genetics because we have something in our genetics they want. Or they just like the idea of being in control, so they want to control humanity. However, most of them are not able to walk openly among us because our gravity and chemicals in the atmosphere are not ideal for their native form. And so they prefer to control us through indirectly through what we call astral influence. And um, for example, about 60% of the world leaders have some degree of astral possession or entity attachment where beings that are maybe in a little bit different dimension than, than our dimension are uh, kind of pulling their strings like puppet masters. Mm. So um, <clears throat> if you go to the top of the physical pyramid, you have things like the, the banking system, the secret societies, all of that. But if you go a level above that, you come to the extraterrestrials who are pulling their strings. And um, because the negative extraterrestrials have a lust for power and control, and so who are they going to be attracted to on earth? Those human beings who have a lust for power and control. So most of the billionaires and uh, politicians, bankers, et cetera, have some interaction with negative extraterrestrials from the astral planes or, or from phase shifted fourth dimensional 
airplanes or things like that, and they're not aware of it. The vast majority of them have no idea that they're being controlled, mind controlled, basically, by the Rigelian reptilians or some other group. So, um, so I know a lot of the readers or, or listeners have um, probably read David Icke and other material that's basically saying that there's reptilians in charge. And no, there's not shape-shifting reptilians who look like humans, but they're actually reptilians. It's not that simple. It's more that they're being influenced and controlled by reptilians. Uh, uh, shape-shifting is a very advanced quality and they don't have the, they're not evolved enough to shape-shift directly, but they are certainly able to mentally influence the world leaders and to get them to go to war with each other or uh, pass, you know, vaccine mandates or some other form of tyrannical control over people. So that's the negative side. The positive side, and there's so many more that are positive. So you have the Pleiadians that um, come here just to be of service. You have the Arcturians who are very highly evolved, who come here to help awaken people spiritually. You have um, many, many other groups that are very highly evolved and are they're not allowed to interfere directly in our free will. So they communicate with those who are open and receptive to their teachings and then who will then share their teachings with other human beings. Mm, I love that. So, you know, if a man is out there and he's, you know, he, he's feeling like he's open and receptive to connecting in with guides and we'll say ETs very loosely, like how, how does a man go about that? especially when, you know, we've never been trained or we've never been taught, like, is there a, a starting point for connecting in and, and exploring well, whether- yeah, Yes, um, first of all, um, most of you who are listening know that in spiritual groups, women tend to outnumber men three to one in some cases. Uh, mm-hmm. I have three times or four times as many women clients as I have men clients. And part of this is because the pendulum is swinging back from being a, a a patriarchal society slowly swinging to more of a matriarchal society but the more basic reason is because it is harder for men generally to be open and receptive and intuitive because those tend to be feminine qualities and so you know we're we're more oriented towards uh providing for a family or starting a business or you know doing some work on a piece of property or things like that that's kind of hardwired into us and whereas the women are more receptive because they have to tune into the needs of their children the needs of uh, the family and in order to do that they need to be intuitive they need to be receptive and so it's like it's harder for most men to be intuitive and receptive and that's why you find fewer men in spiritual groups uh, it used to be well, the man is working and the woman has time on her hands if she's finished raising the children. So you have a lot of women in their 50s and 60s that have an empty nest that are get involved in spirituality. But it's also the fact that it's easier for women to, to receive these higher dimensional downloads from extraterrestrials and, and higher beings. So... So keeping that in mind, um, that just may, means it's slightly more difficult for men than it is for women. It doesn't mean that the men can't open up in 
intuitively and uh, on a more right brain level to the, the higher frequencies and to download them. Breathing, meditation, yoga, uh, certain therapies, certain uh, healing techniques are, are the primary ways of opening yourself and being more receptive to these higher frequencies and higher beings. So there are you know, various courses you can take from me or others. Um, and you can, you can do a lot of research on the internet. You can uh, go to my website, uh, which I'll, I'll write in the chat window. <laughs> guests on the show. Um, it's just my first, na first name, Sal, and my last name, Raquel, which looks like Rochelle with one L. Um, S-A-L-R-A-C-H-E-L-E.com. And the books that are particularly relevant to our conversation are uh, Earth Changes and Beyond. And then we have Earth Awakens and The Real History of Earth. Both are the ones that are most relevant to what we've been talking about. Also, Soul Integration is a good personal growth manual for integrating these parts of the self. Uh, so I thought I'd put in my little last minute commercial here. Oh, yeah, absolutely, Sal, absolutely. So this has been a fantastic conversation, extremely activating and heart opening. I know there's going to be a lot of men out there who check out your books. We're going to get everything linked up in the, in the show notes so men can easily access this. And before we depart, I'd love to just turn it over to you one final time for this conversation. And like, what do you have to share to the masculine leader out there as some final parting wisdom? Well, I think the balance of our inner masculine and feminine nature is so important. And, and we look out the world and we see all these distortions and all these variations. I have nothing against homosexuality per se. Um, I do have something against the politicizing of homosexuality. Uh, you know, trying to force people to, you know, do this or do that uh, in, the, in the society. But what I think that we need to do is be balanced within our male and female inner selves so that we have both the masculine electric action oriented consciousness and the more feminine intuitive receptive consciousness and if we can balance those within us then we're actually far more powerful than the bull in the china shop type of macho man which just wants to you know bulldoze everything in his way and this sort of thing and I don't think being overly feminine uh, is the answer. Um, I think that there's a lot of uh, what they call beta males. Now we have alpha males and beta males. Those are the latest terms. And the beta males are those that, that are just kind of, you know, more like a woman. And they have trouble making decisions. And, you know, I, I don't think that's the answer. <laughs> um, and so I think we need to have that balance. Of, of our masculine and feminine nature. And our relationships with women will get far better if we can find that balance within ourselves. Mm, awesome, Sal, thank you so much for this. This has been such a beautiful conversation. Well, thank you for inviting me.